This is episode number 222 of the Well-Fed Women podcast. You are now listening to Well-Fed Women, the show that's been radically changing the way women perceive health, fitness, and their bodies since 2015. I'm your host, Noelle Tarr. Submit your questions to wellfedwomen at gmail.com, and you can keep up with the show on Instagram at wellfedwomen. Hello and welcome to the Well-Fed Women Podcast. I'm back with Stephanie Ripper. So excited. We're going to dive into some fun topics today, specifically hormones, cycle length, and what to do when your period has gone missing, which is a very popular topic for our community and one that we get a lot of questions about. So there are a lot of things that that can impact hormones and your period. And so we're going to just dive deep into those things thanks to our listener questions Welcome, Stephanie. What's up? <laughs> what's Sorry, that? was that like a little too informal? <laughs> I'm pretty sure Hello. the podcast Good has morning. never been that Particularly formal. <laughs> I wouldn't. That is not Good an day. adjective that I would Top use. Top of the morning to you. Yeah. <laughs> the morning. How do you not? How do you not inherit the British accent living there now for so long? I would have such a hard time. Well, I actually don't talk to British people that often. Oh. Yeah. When I hang out with my friends who are British, it, it, I pick it up more regular, more, you know, more easily. But mm-hmm. yeah, I, I actually, I don't, when I lived in London too, I, I, I was around more British people, but, but I don't, um, I have, my O's are longer. You may have noticed I say things like mm-hmm. process. Yeah, yes. Pro- yeah. Process. Yeah, so my, my my O's have elongated and some of my A's are a little bit shorter, but nothing particularly noticeable. And my vocab is different. Like I say cycle instead of bike. Yes, um, right. But you can take a girl out of Detroit, but you can't take the Detroit out of the girl. <laughs> Speaking of, are you where are you still thinking about the D.C. area? Wow, did I announce that on the podcast? You didn't. <laughs> Oh, lol. <laughs> Thanks, Noelle. I was sitting here thinking, has she done said this publicly? But let's be honest, Steph, you sort of have announced eight different spaces publicly. So at this point, it's not really. It's just. It's not. Well, maybe. So the plan has been for the last few months and is currently that when I finish in Oxford, uh, about a year hence, I will. Wow. Probably relocate to DC. People ask me like, "How concrete is it?" And I'm like, "Well, you know, up until the day before I go, <laughs> it won't be certain." Uh, but that's tentatively where I'm looking at next. So, and why the shift from San Fran or the San Bay Francisco. Area? I think it was the Bay Area in general, right? To yeah, I have I have a I have a few reasons. One is I love you people on the West Coast very much. And I love, there's a lot of reasons. There's something about California, like the West Coast in general, that's just too nice. I don't mean the people are too nice, but there's something about it that's just, I don't know, the East Coast is grittier and I'm a gritty human. <laughs> I'm a gritty human. You, you're, you're chuckling because you obviously agree with me. I feel the same way, but I feel the same way about myself. I think when, <laughs> keep going. Um, so, so that's that about, about that. And I, I also, one of the only, you know, I, I tend to be a very lone wolf kind of human. You may already know this about me. 
but there is a person in my life that I would follow anywhere. And she's my best friend here. Her name is Kelly. And anyway, she's she and I are tentatively planning on moving to D.C. together. So oh. um, I'm following her. And, well, we sort of negotiated because she wanted to be near her family. And I did. But I didn't want to be in Boston or New York because they're Boston and New York. So D.C. was one of the only options left. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's good. Um, there's good salsa in D.C. And the winters aren't terrible, though the summers are terrible. Um, I'll just travel in the summer, I guess. Okay, yeah, tell, I don't, tell me about how much well, you hate the West Coast. No, I don't hate that. I don't. This is why I don't want it to come off this way. I just had to sit and take a step back. I, it's, it's just not my scene. It's just mm-hmm, not my culture. Yeah, and that's that's the end of it. And it's just as like West Coast people come to the East Coast and they're like, Ooh. it's the same way for me. I do feel, I don't know, like it's just my people. And I think people who are born on the East Coast maybe just all sort of they kind of stay on the east coast maybe because they do have family here which is a big deal for me too but yeah it just has a different feel and when i go to new york city although i don't want to move there i it feels very refreshing to me and i know that sounds really Mm. weird but i like being around movers and shakers and people who are working their butts off well, there's a, I mean, there is a lot of that on I the West know. Coast, I'm too. not saying there's not, but I'm just saying the culture, the general culture of New York City is very different than the culture of L.A. And mm-hmm. definitely, I would not fit in, in L.A., let's be honest, we all know this. I, I kind of feel like the, the East Coast has a different vibe around life, and it may not even be the most healthy. <laughs> let's be honest, like, it's, yeah. we all work a ton and we're like, not to say that people on the East Coast don't, but there is a general more relaxation vibe. And I don't, I still haven't figured that one out yet. I don't ever have that vibe quite yet. So, well, I don't, I don't want that vibe. I went to a talk once in San Francisco where uh, a woman was telling people that they need to have like a more relaxed approach to work and go home at 5 p.m. and stuff. And at the end, she was like, does anybody have any questions? And nobody had any questions. And she was like, why does nobody have any questions? And a guy raised his hand and he was like, we live in San Francisco. We do all this already. (laughs) Now I know that the Bay Area is full of great, hardworking people who work all the time in tech. You know what I mean? Like it's, there's a lot going on there too. So I'm not saying it's not, but yeah, and ge- as a general culture and a vibe, some people are probably annoyed with us right now for talking. It's not a bad thing. It's just different. It's just different. So, yeah. Um, it's also very expensive. <laughs> oh, my goodness. San Francisco yeah. is out of control. Although, I, I mean, will say D.C. stinks as well. I don't know. I lived in London. I think D.C. Yeah, will, be true. Cheaper than, will be cheaper than London. And yeah. it's still like half as much as San Francisco. <laughs> yeah, I know. It was scary. We almost moved out there and we were looking around. We're like, oh, my gosh, we're not going to survive. How can we do this? Yeah, it's crazy. We live in Northern Virginia now, which is outside of D.C., which I absolutely love. It is a little bit more affordable than D.C. proper, for sure. But I love this area. I really do. I just feel home. But you know what? I do think there is something to be said for wherever you were born and raised and grew up. Like to me, and I don't know how you necessarily feel about Detroit and Michigan, but being in Virginia is a breath of fresh air to me because this is my home, you know? So it's it's hard to get away from where you're born and raised. 
Unless you're not, Stephanie. <laughs> not for me. Stephanie's like, where am I going next? My dad's always like, when are you coming home? I'm like, dad, you have 66% of your children living at home. Isn't that enough? I love He's like, that. no. I love the percentage. <laughs> and now you have two additional children. Right. Who are marrying into your family. And they're, they're two women. And so they're, they've replaced me plus one. Oh. So. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. You're never going home, are you, Steph? Probably not. I mean, yeah. it, it, obviously things can happen, but I don't. I don't see it being very likely. But DC is DC is pretty close. Like that might yeah. be as. That's pretty close. That's pretty close. It's yeah. exciting. We'll see. We'll keep y'all updated. Um, in other news, I'm about to have a baby. So. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> Still pregnant, folks. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> not by the time this this episode comes out. My goal is to not be. But, you know, not really in control over here on that one. So I am getting really tired of being pregnant. Um, wow, you got, a, you got a while to go, though. I, stop it. Um, yeah, Sorry. I do. <laughs> I do. Yeah, we're recording this in advance because I am anticipating being, being pregnant, indisposed, <laughs> being in a dark hole. Um <laughs> It's just it's been it's been a struggle for I'm not a I'm not a good pregnant person and I think that <laughs> lol uh, yeah poor Ken oh my goodness uh, that is accurate <laughs> so <laughs> I I'm just struggling on all cylinders here to be quite brutally honest and I ha- I'm going to say this because I want people to know that you can think and eat and say, oh, I'm a personal trainer and oh, I do. Yeah, I eat well. Oh, I do. It's still hard and it still will knock you down. And you, it's, you know, it's not all glorious. And I feel like Instagram especially is just full of people who are personal trainers who have pregnant, get pregnant. And then, or, you know, people into fitness. And they pop this little belly and they're still doing their workouts at 40 weeks pregnant. And, you know, I think that that's what we assume we all should be doing. And I know this is my second time around and I should have gotten it the first time around. But it still hits you. You know what I mean? It still is hard when you get into that third trimester. And your body is completely different than it was a few months ago. Your fatigue is up. For me, it's serious back pain. I've been laying around a ton. I have been in survival mode pretty much the entire time. My sleep is completely off, which, of course, all affects my mental health. And so it's, it's, we can all say, oh, well, we'll, we'll be that person who is really into fitness in our third. Why would people not? (laughs) You're training to give birth. That's the most important endurance event of your life. You know, and we say these things, but it, stuff's hard. And stuff's hard when you have a kid, and stuff's hard when you have chronic pain, and stuff's hard when you have a life and you're just working and you got a lot going on. And it's still hard for me. You know, we get all these questions of people who are pregnant and are struggling, and sometimes I feel in their desperation they they think that they're alone, and I can tell you you're not alone. <laughs> and it it is hard, and it's okay for it to be hard and to be in survival mode. You know, if you need to be in survival mode, be in survival mode. I have not posted a single video on Instagram of me doing any sort of pregnancy workouts, and I don't plan to, and I will not be. 
because I'm not working out. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I know that there's a whole shift there. And because people will talk about how important fitness is in your pregnancy, and I get it. And it is important to walk, and it is important to do PT, and it is important to do smart exercise and to prepare your pelvic floor and your core for even, you know, pregnancy and um, your birth and and postpartum. But at some points, it's really important just to to maintain your sanity and to survive it. So I keep, you know, I have I had the discussion with my husband today. Like he was like, how you feeling? And I was like, I'm I'm there, which is what I say when I'm at my point of no return with my back pain. And so I was laying on the couch. I was, I'm there. And he was like, sorry, sweetie. And I was like, it's my life now. And he was like, it's not your life forever. And I'm like, it's not my life forever. <laughs> so it's just, it's like a constant reminder. You know, it's, it's a moment in time. I don't feel great right now. Kind of hating it. And it's, I've sobbed a lot and cried a lot. And, you know, it just but you process, you get through. It's not every it's not going to be forever. And there is always postpartum where it's going to be like, I kind of feel like I'm waiting for a Mack truck to hit. And once we get through that, you know, I can definitely work my way back up to fitness again and life again. It happened once. It'll happen again. So Hmm. it's crazy, though. It, It really is crazy how the body image issues um, or or just the body image thoughts, you know, the expectations, I will say. The body expectations are still so rooted in us. And I feel like it's this sort of tiny grip that you don't always notice it, but it comes back in situations like these where you just completely don't have control. And, you know, I feel myself having to talk myself through those thoughts again, which doesn't happen very often, but it it still happens, you know? I mean, it's unfortunate that it's there, but I think it's there for everybody, you know, and you you, you never fully, completely, 100% like, I'm better now, never going to think about my worth as in terms of my body size or what I can mm-hmm. do and for fitness. And it's just not true. So you just have to be able to, to process and, and mentally and emotionally work through those issues uh, appropriately. So that's where I'm at. Okay. Do you still work through any? Let's turn this back on Stephanie. Do you still work oh. on? There's no need <laughs> to do like, that. I don't. I don't want to. Do you have moments like that? Have you recently? And I would say in the last year or two, where you still are, especially now that I think you're. You've had such a big diet shift. I would assume that that has to impact some. Like, do you still feel yourself coming back and fighting those thoughts about? you're worth being in what you're eating or how you're looking or how you're mm. performing? I actually have an interesting reflection on this. So my what I eat impacts me not at all. The way I look does actually impact me. It's been very fascinating for me because you all know that I, if you're not following me yet, somebody messaged me on Instagram or commented or something on my Stephanie Rupert profile and said, I'm following you for the love of God. Because I think on this podcast once I said, like, follow me for the love of God, because it's, you know, <laughs> nobody follows me. It's fine. I'm working on it. Anyway, so on that account, um, I'm doing a lot. This is like, I'm my other accounts, I was always promoting paleo for women. And now I'm promoting myself. And I take a lot of selfies. And there were videos of myself everywhere. And it's not and looking at them and thinking a lot about how to better sell myself. I've become 
more self-critical than I had ever been, but not in a way that impacts me like on a deep psychological level. I don't know like if that makes sense, but I look in the mirror now and I'm like, my, these teeth are crooked and my nose is very crooked. I don't know if y'all have noticed. And I don't move the right side of my mouth much when I talk. Like, And when I try to smile with the right side of my mouth, I can't. And I'm a few pounds heavier than I was a little while ago. But that's less important than the fact that my nose is kind of crooked because people can see my crooked nose all the time on Instagram. And this has happened because of social media and because I am spending so much time on it and trying to promote myself on it. And that's just very it's very fascinating to me. And it's a very clear shift. I not a once scrutinized my teeth until a couple months ago. And now I'm getting Invisalign just be careful what that's doing to y'all, you know, because I never, I always, I hate taking selfies. I hate that kind of thing. I had never got into it before and now I'm doing it for my job and it is making me scrutinize myself and it doesn't like really impact me, but I do have, there is like a tinge of negativity now and I don't feel as confident as I used to in the way that I look, mm. but that could also be just because I don't know, people are paying less attention to me. I mean, Hey, it's all I'm locked in. I'm locked in a library. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, I just bring this up because we live in this hypercritical world where, you know, the images are perfect, right? And I watch TV and I'm like, oh, they have perfect teeth, right? And we always talk about like how we're always scrutinizing something. If it's not our waistline, it's our skin, it's our this, it's our that. Like, what can I fix next to make people love me? Which is ridiculous. It's obviously ridiculous. Let's stop doing it. I have just noticed that this is a thing that can happen. Okay, I'm done. Sorry, that was a long time. No, it wasn't. I. The reason I said that, I want a clarification. So food does not impact you health-wise, correct? Or were you saying food, what you're eating doesn't impact you in your your thoughts about yourself? Yeah, I'd, before we got on this podcast, I had a thing of yogurt that was bigger than probably most people would eat in one sitting, the, uh, deep-fried egg meat bites <laughs> that they make here in the UK that are just like so punishingly addictive. Those are three things I would never put together. Deep, deep fried. fried egg meat bites. They put an egg inside meat and then deep fry it. Okay. And it's amazing that they do it in the UK and they don't do it in the States. Like I ate that. I don't feel guilty and I don't feel right. worried that I'm going to get sick or die. But that's also because I have a lot of experience with my body, learning what works for me and what doesn't. Um, but I, do, I don't feel like a less good or worthy person. But I do, you know, to be clear, I am falling into scrutinizing my appearance more than I used to precisely because of the amount of time I'm spending on social media. And I took it took me four minutes to say that I could have just said that. Well, this is also we've come a very long way too. is you foods used to be your thing was that you were a very delicate flower, and I still think you are in some ways. However, things, if you had the smallest shift in your diet, it would impact you, I think, less so physically, but more mentally and emotionally, and not from the perspective we're talking about of, oh, I'm second-guessing myself and my worth, but just it would kind of set you off. Does that, do you still consider yourself to be very sensitive to foods in general, or... There are some things that that still bother me. Foods with MSG in them still wreck me. Mm -hmm. um, and my sleep, I'm still working on the sleep thing. I feel like I'm having a breakthrough this week, but every time I say that, it falls apart. So I'm still working on the sleep thing. Um, but generally, you know, generally speaking, I can eat uh, most. I can eat dairy products now. Like I, I, you know, I just ate a whole tub of yogurt. Right. So 
and the psychological impact was uh, it was real only because I was worried, you know, because I, I didn't know what was, you know, affecting me yet. But now I've sort of I've gotten to a point where uh, my my body was good enough to handle the dairy. And so my brain is good enough to handle the dairy. Okay, so what was the shift? Because I feel like a lot of people are are very sensitive to foods. And like you were, where you just don't know, like all these things are impacting me. And I don't know what it is. And, mm. I, you know, I said, so do you think it was just time or do you think it was your mental and emotional state altogether? Maybe the fact that you're enjoying things more, that you are getting out, that you're doing mm-hmm. so, you know, you're eating more in a social atmosphere. You're not... You're kind of, you know, establishing yourself in your career and as adult. And so do you think that that has had an impact on what your body can tolerate? I think both physical and psychological components were at play. It's very hard to tease out the variables. Uh, it took a very, very long time for my skin to heal. And I think that was definitely just a process of healing my skin and increasing my nutrient status. I ate a very low fat diet for a very long time you know, at least halfway into my paleo here, halfway into my time at Oxford, you know, uh, fruit and lean ground beef and lettuce was like all I ate for years, you know. So it, uh, I think reintroducing higher quantities of fat in my diet was very helpful. I think time, I think relaxing for sure. And I also think that the happiness and satisfaction that I'm currently experiencing from feeling purposeful has been very important. I get fewer headaches. I'm also, however, taking glycine at night, and I think that that's helpful. So I I think it's really, it's impossible for me to say, but I think they're both important. Yeah, that's what I was getting at. I don't know. That's just so interesting to think about. It's so interesting to think about that, how your mental and emotional state, where you are, your happiness the thing, just, you know, your your social interactions in general have had an impact on your bodily functions, on your digestion. It's so, it's so big. It's very big. Yeah. You have changed so much. I mean, we both have, but I, I can't, it's, it's hitting me because I'm going back and trying to find episodes to rebroadcast. Mm. And so it's just crazy how much we have shifted as human beings, but also what we, how we eat and move and interact with our own health. And so, I mean, obviously so much about our life has changed in terms of careers and kids and all that kind of stuff. But I don't know, just crazy to think about. It'll be interesting to hear some of that if you pull any of that. (laughs) Yeah, I will. (laughs) I will. Don't judge us, folks, for what's about to come. (laughs) But it will be a really great insight into how far we've come, I think. And, you know, you and I are living out the things that we are preaching to others. And Interesting. You know what I mean? And, And so as I think I would, I, I can speak for both of us, but I, you know, just from my perspective here too is, the more I answer questions and research and come up, you know, think about things and ponder on it and Steph and I connect and we talk, you know, Steph and I come together and we don't necessarily have perfectly formed answers. You know what I mean? We're not thinking, mm, well, we're going to talk about mindset in this way. I learned from Stephanie. Stephanie's learning from me. We're having, this is a conversation, you know? And so that's what we've always wanted the podcast to be. But both of us have grown tremendously. 
And as we're growing and having these conversations and diving deeper and getting into these harder topics and unpacking them, we are adapting and taking on this way of Mm -hmm. living even more. And so I think that you can see that just in the last four years, too. That's interesting. Yeah. All right. Let's get to some questions. (laughs) Okay. Okay. We'll see what we'll see how many we get to. Question number one is from Anika. Hey there. Thank you so much for taking questions and answering them so thoroughly. I have learned so much from you both. My questions. Questions. When is the best time to incorporate more intense or vigorous workouts during your cycle if you're trying to get pregnant? I don't want to send my body into stress mode. I've also noticed that on harder workout days, days such as long, strenuous hikes, long runs, weightlifting combined, 45 plus minutes of cardio, or several hours of intense rock climbing, I have a hard time falling asleep at night and tend to sleep much more lightly. Is this due to not eating enough during the day and a drop in blood sugar? Or could it be triggering the stress response and my cortisol is too high? This is concerning to me because I lost my period in 2012 and it has yet to come back on its own without taking estrogen and progesterone. I'd like to get it back because I'd like to get pregnant this year. My hormones have felt all over the place and I've major mood swings that I've never before experienced as a result of playing ba- playing balancing my hormones. Am I overdoing it on my workouts? I've been very careful to listen to my body more and try not to do too much exercise, but I really enjoy it and I've always been extremely active. Am I jeopardizing my fertility? I also have more bloating after harder workouts. Is that from too much stress? I continue to have bloating after drinking water, and it seems nothing helps. Although stress, lack of sleep, starches, and FODMAPs make it considerably worse. What is going on with my body? Question mark, question mark, question mark. I'm hoping you can point me in the right direction, as it seems my doctors and naturopaths also often look to me to point them towards which avenue I should pursue. She does give us some information about herself. She's 29. She has struggled with SIBO, yeast overgrowth, a parasite infection, some undereating and overexercising, seven to nine hours of sleep, gained 20 pounds recently to get to a healthier weight. 2012 started oral contraceptives and increased my exercise and eventually ended up losing my period. So that's kind of what kickstarted this. She stopped taking the pill in 2015, started taking the progesterone and estrogen. There's so much here. It's all good. I would go ahead and say that definitely the history of struggling with SIBO and yeast overgrowth and infections can is definitely uh, at play here in the in the bloating and, and the workouts. Um, stress can, of course, be a factor with anything, but the gut can, you know, it has a really long memory. It can be impacted on a very long term basis from things that have happened in the past. And so I think it's worthwhile being really intentional about approaching those things and healing those things. And um, I don't like to separate problems that we work on in the body. You know, they're definitely all connected. And I think, as Noelle has been always saying, our histories of dieting can have a really big impact on our gastrointestinal health, right? So it's all definitely related. But I think at this point, I would say, taking care of that is really uh, important and digging into that and it's on its own. Uh, The other stuff I really wanted to, I love when people bring up sleep and working out because I always want to talk about it. Um, You raised a question of whether these intense days of working out can be impacting your sleep. Yes. And I have a couple of 
reasons or theories as to why that I'm pretty sure are at least correct for me. So yes, it, there is a possibility that you, both of the things that you mentioned being that just that you under ate and being that your stress hormone levels were elevated uh, can be factors. Both are very real. Uh, one thing that your body does when you are hungry, so say you're or you're in a big calorie deficit, is it creates, um, it activates what are called orexin neurons in your brain. They're also called hypocretin neurons. They go by both names. And these are in the hippocampus. And they are they they activate because you're hungry and they regulate wakefulness. They keep you awake. Like that is precisely what they do. And uh, the human brain actually functions very similarly to rat brains in this portion of the brain. And rats that have been deprived of food will stay up all day, which for them is their night, uh, seeking food. Uh, and, and this part of their brain is lighting up like fireworks. So for humans, it's very real that your circadian rhythm can be shifted a little bit. And your circadian rhythm is very entrenched to the way that you eat. So your circadian rhythm can be shifted and negatively impacted if you are in periods of extended periods of calorie deficit throughout the day at times that is unnatural for your body or natural, you know, I don't even, what does it even mean to have a natural time for your body to be in a calorie deficit? Um, so those are all things important to bear in mind. Um, eating all more during these days is obviously could be really helpful. And that could tell you whether or not um, a little bit more about how this is affecting you. Uh, you can try eating before you go to sleep. That's what I did for many years. It helped knock out my you know, the response, my hippocampus, I think, and helped my uh, body shut off and go to sleep. Definitely carbohydrates are the best food for that. And uh, you want to keep your protein earlier in the day and, and not at night if, if that is a issue that you're working on. Generally speaking, it sounds like there's it doesn't come out very overtly in this question. But uh, it there are sprinkles of overdoing it. And you're asking these questions, am I overdoing it? Right. And you ask it a, a couple of times, right. Am I working out too much? Generally speaking, if people ask us that question, the answer is yes, because they suspect they're asking us because they suspect it might be true. Uh, and it definitely, definitely seems like this. And unfortunately, you know, we can come into a schedule, say that seems compared to other people, kind of normal or fine or healthy, say you go on a strenuous hike a couple of times a week, or you do a couple of long runs or what have you. And other people do it and, and they seem fine. But A, we're all very different. And B, if you have a history of restricting yourself or uh, over exercising or under eating or what have you, your body will be more sensitive to that kind of thing, right? Because you're already, you're entering into this from a previously stressed state. And these stressors, we carry forward with us, of course, you know, and they compound, build on each other. And so it, it makes, it makes sense to me. You know, it, it makes sense. I'm not puzzled by the fact that you're struggling with your uh, menstrual cycle and all these sorts of things. So I absolutely and you, you mentioned that you put some weight back on recently, which is really good. But that also means that there was a point at which you were at a much lower weight, right? And that can have effects. And I think you're probably going to need more time. And 
long, strenuous hikes, long runs, weightlifting with lots of cardio, several hours of intense rock climbing. Some of these things are outdoor activities and seem like you might just be doing them because they're fun outdoor activities. But intense weightlifting plus 45 minutes of cardio says to me there's a, it's possible like it just feels really good for you to get this dopamine high, but B, it also says you're you're trying to do something here with your exercise, right? There's some sort of goal here that might be related to your body size. And when whenever you're trying to keep yourself small, like your body kind of your body knows, you know, it, it really does if you're working out a lot or under eating your body feels it because your body is you (laughs) so um i i do think i do really think that taking a good hard look at that and you know sometimes we have habits and behaviors and because we compare them to a more extreme past we think that they're really chill uh but they're but they're but they're not right you know yeah when i was in college i was working out 14 times a week right in the morning at 6 a.m before class and in the evening and eating 1200 calories a day or something crazy like that. But because I had sort of slid into that and I was comparing myself to whatever Olympic athletes and I, I was running at crazy, you know, very high speeds. <laughs> it's like, and so I just, it seemed normal. And then I would do just one workout a day and I felt lazy, which is crazy. You know, nowadays I work out for seven minutes and I'm like, man, I got other stuff to do. <laughs> I mean, I'm, ex- I'm exaggerating, I'm exaggerating, but, um, but it's just, it's all so, so relative, you know, and I think sometimes going to a place of complete rest or almost complete rest, taking a few weeks to do some walking and some yoga and just get a comparison for the rest of your activity can be really helpful. And then maybe you can find something in the middle. Um, I've been talking a long time and we bantered for a long time. So, (laughs) so we're done. (laughs) I, I, that was, you hit the nail on the head. That is people when they, and I feel like if you are questioning whether what you're doing is too much or not, the answer is yes, because Mm -hmm. we can always look everywhere. We can look to social media. We can look to our past selves. We can look to whatever extreme makeover dieting show is is on TV, magazines, the tri- triathlon neighbor, we can get confirmation that we are not doing too much. We, if, you're, if you want to look for it, you'll find it. Mm-hmm. But the confirmation that you are doing too much is the fact that you don't have a period and your body is not ovulating. And something about your current routine is telling your body that it is unsafe. And so that is your confirmation. And yeah, your description of what you do, like, yes, I I look at that and say, yeah, it's too much. It's too much if you want your period back. It's too much if you want your fertility back and you want to focus on pregnancy. And so this has got to be a complete life shift. And Stephanie and I have been through these, these big life shifts where our main thing was the fitness and the food and the restriction and the diets. And that was our, that was like what encompassed our entire lives and a lot of our time, um, more than seven minutes a day. And so Mm -hmm. it, it, that's where we put all our emotion and our energy into. And because you have this history and now your body is much more sensitive to this. And yeah, you lost your period when you went on these oral contraceptives, you increased your exercise at the same time. 
I think that for sure, relaxing, taking time off and working on eating more, eating a lot of nourishing foods, restoring your gut. It seems like you have had a lot of gut issues, which it's odd that you've had so many different things. I think you can do a lot more work mentally and emotionally in the pos- in a positive way. You can shift your health in a positive way with mental and emotional work than you think. I think when we want to justify and stay cuz we're it's comfortable to be controlling our bodies. Does that make sense? Would you agree with that? It's yes. it's it's comfortable to be in control. In yeah. control on on a hard workout regimen and on this on whole 30, a whole 60 or whole 90. It's comfortable. We it's we it's safe. We know that we can in quotations pr- like protect our, our identity and protect our worth mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and so there's no we, we're not changing anything it's really scary really scary to try to move forward with changing that and not knowing what how our body is going to respond and potentially gain weight or potentially quote-unquote lose our fitness and the reason it is so scary is because we find our worth in that stuff and so it really has to it, this is a whole life change, right? It's a whole mindset shift, which then drives your physical, your mental and emotional state. And it's a new way of living. It's a new way of seeing health. You see health as multifaceted as opposed to what your body size is and what you're able to do with your fitness. It's not an easy thing to do because you can, like I said, and like Stephanie was mentioning, you can find confirmation that what you're doing is fine everywhere, everywhere and so (laughs) um we will tell you the opposite so here we are saying it if you needed the confirmation but i i think that we so when we're stuck like i feel this is just kind of my own personal opinion is that you're stuck in anita you're anika sorry you're stuck in this sort of well, what's the problem here? It's got to be, is it a parasite infection? I need to go get my gut tested. I need to do a food sensitivity test. I need to look at my hormones. Like, what's going on? Why am I not getting my period? Where it could really be, yes, you're, there may be some real true hormonal imbalances and gut issues, but a lot of that can be caused by this the fact that you are over-exercising, and or your history of hyper-restriction and your mental and emotional state. Does that make sense? Am I making sense? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. Actually, and it's like very in line with cutting-edge research in psychology. So just consider me the forward-thinking ahead of everybody. <laughs> yeah, no, I just, it's, it's, it's hard to, um, it's hard to put into words because there's not, it's sort of unbelievable, right? It's sort of like, well, no, if I have a gut infection, then it's the gut infection, you know? Or, well, if I'm not getting my period, it's got to be a hormonal imbalance. And what Stephanie and I have been preaching for so long is that it may be that you just need to chill. Which goes back to our original banter and discussion about Stephanie, and, and me personally, I'm not trying to put this all on Stephanie, but Stephanie, how how she has evolved and how her external, social, physical, emotional factors impact what her body is able to process and handle. 
This podcast is brought to you by the Nutritional Therapy Association, an organization that has been training and certifying nutritional therapy practitioners and nutritional therapy consultants in foundational holistic nutrition for over 15 years. Go to nutritionaltherapy.com to learn more about the programs which empower graduates with the education and skills they need to launch successful, fulfilling careers in holistic nutrition. I'm personally an NTP, and the nine-month program was instrumental in helping establish my own career in health and wellness. Go to nutritionaltherapy.com to learn more about each program and sign up for the classes which start in May or September of this year. If you do, be sure to put down Well-Fed Women as your referral, and you'll get a free copy of Coconuts and Kettlebells sent to you by me. That's nutritionaltherapy.com. Question number two is from Mahari. Hi from Scotland. Thanks so much for all the time you spend making these podcasts. That has helped so many of us. I've listened to every single episode. I'm excited to see where you're going to take it in the coming weeks. Also, Steph, I follow you on your new Insta. I did the moment uh-huh. I heard about it. Hey. <laughs> my question is short. Can excess caffeine be causing my cycle to lengthen? Like a cortisol type of reaction. Long question. When I was a teenager, I always had irregular cycles that I got fed up tracking. I was also poorly fed vegetarian from the ages of 10 to 23 by my own choice. In my later teens, I suffered from mild cystic acne, very low moods, and bouts of depression which basically disappeared when I went on the combined contraceptive pill at age 19. I also came off the pill for three months, I think at age 21, and cried the whole time so promptly, went back on the pill, and again, mood almost immediately lifted. Now, almost 10 years down the line, I'm married and not trying to conceive. I've been eating meat again for about six years, ate mostly gluten and dairy-free. Here's the thing. Mm. I came off the pill in November 2017 and had a regular cycle, 30 days immediately, And I did and still do feel amazing in terms of mood and energy. I was then fitted with a copper IUD in January of 2018 and continued to have regular cycles. In April, I took Utovia, which is a period delay pill, which really didn't agree with me, but I powered through for 22 days to prevent me from having a period on my honeymoon. I had one more 30-day cycle, and then in June, things suddenly changed. This month, I added in, (laughs) she said she added in collagen powder. She thought that was it. And all of a sudden, she had a 45-day cycle. My cycles have continued to fluctuate between 33 and 45 days. She took the collagen out, and that was obviously not it. I don't suffer from PMS symptoms. My skin has remained clear, and my moods and mindset are 10, 10 of 10, all of which puts me, <laughs> I put down to change in my diet. I don't understand how I feel so good while something is so quite clearly off. If this has been the case since I came off the pill and all I'd ever known, I would assume that this was just life, but I can't. I know I can have regular cycles, and I did for six months, and I don't really know why this has happened. I do have a high caffeine intake, and I'm wondering if that's it. I do generally start the day with coffee or pre, uh, pre-workout pre if it's a workout day. It gets me going, but I would rather have another coffee or sugar-free drink in the early afternoon. So what do you think? Wonder if cycle length is having any ill effects on my health um, or if it's telling me something's going wrong. I don't know what my next move should be. So an unexpected longer cycle. So this is interesting. My first question for you would be, what if any other symptoms are you experiencing, right? Um, Are you also having gut issues, right? Um, Any sort of changes in your sleep or you said your mood is 10 out of 10, which is lovely. 
Um, but I would ask if there are any other symptoms which would indicate that there's some sort of other major underlying problem at play. I think that's something massive to consider because that would sort of point us in that direction. Uh, second, I would say, you know, about irregular periods, what is your goal is something that we all need to ask ourselves. If you are worried that you have a health problem, an irregular period might, like you're, like you're saying, it might indicate something, but it's not necessarily a problem in and of itself. Now, if you aren't menstruating at all, many doctors, actually pretty much universally all doctors recommend that you do induce a period at least every few months uh, to make sure that your, you know, your endometria is being properly uh, recycled, being flushed out, all that sort of stuff. Um, you just begin. Then, if if you don't, there is a chance that you can actually end up with um, cancer. Uh, it's a small chance, but it does increase your chance. And so, it's important to menstruate. But other than that, it doesn't in itself impose a health risk which is why I would ask about other symptoms. You did say that when you first added collagen powder, you changed to a 45-day cycle and got a very large cystic spot. So that's interesting, and I have a hypothesis, but uh, I want to wrap this bit up about your cycle. So I think, I think that that's not something to necessarily worry about. If you're worried about getting pregnant again, again, First, first, again, <laughs> if you're worried about getting pregnant, period, um, it is possible to get pregnant with an irregular cycle, although, of course, it would be helpful to have a regular cycle and be sure that you're ovulating regularly. Uh, and so that is that is something that you can work on. But if you can't, if you can't get it, you know, sort of under that control, then it is still possible so long as you're ovulating and you can track that uh, I could tell you all about it, or you could just look into taking charge of your fertility, which is probably our number one recommended resource on this podcast. Um, and yeah, I'll, I'll stop with that. Uh, caffeine. Can that make a difference? Yes. Caffeine can, I think, can make a difference. It's totally dependent on your personal physiology. Most people don't react very strongly to caffeine. But like me personally, if I have a few sips, I'll either immediately get a headache and or not be able to sleep the next day, like that night, you know, and, and that's very real. And that would happen even if I, you know, if it were a double blind controlled study, I'm pretty sure. So um, caffeine can uh, impact you by increasing your cortisol levels. And this actually, I'm wondering if when you started introducing, now I, I, I would be curious about what was in your collagen powder, because some of them are just like straight up collagen from grass fed animals. And you're like, boom, like I'm good to go. Other ones have additives. And so check out the additives and see if it's something, you know, maybe there was some dairy in it, some growth hormone or something. Uh, probably not. And if it's just straight up collagen, uh, then collagen actually is uh, is a problematic for me. I just tried it again a, a last week and it, I, I, had, I felt great while I was on it, but I, I couldn't sleep that night and I ended up getting a headache and um Collagen protein is actually high in uh, glutamic acid, which converts, which can become glutamate in the brain, which is an excitatory neurotransmitter. 
And in that sense, if you're very sensitive, that could upregulate the production of some stress hormones and lead to the lead to a spot forming on your face. But I would I would look first to uh, dairy or other sources of things that could irritate you or, or cause oil in your skin, oil production uh, before I leapt to that conclusion. And of course, the copper IUD, I really are you still on that? Um, I highly recommend taking some zinc while you're on it. It can, it can be kind of toxic and I'm not saying that it is necessarily for you and maybe you have plenty of zinc in your diet or you're fine. Cause obviously there are many women around the world who use a copper IUD and are fine, but there are some who use it and do get really, really sick because they have copper toxicity and you can balance that by taking zinc. And actually some women do have uh, do end up having uh, irregular or missed periods and a slew of other symptoms. And you didn't mention having other symptoms, which, um, which I guess sort of mitigates the possibility. But I would take some zinc and see if that helps. Um, these are just some thoughts. These are just some thoughts. Stress hormones can definitely cause acne, you know, so the coffee thing could could really be a thing. Too often we try to correlate things and, and I mean, it makes sense. Like, what did I do today that has now changed this? Or what did I do this cycle that has now changed everything? And it may not be something that was an immediate, it wasn't something that you introduced that it was boom, an immediate reaction. The two things that are a little alarming to me that happened around the same time was the copper IUD and then the introduction of the Utovia, which delayed mm. your period Okay, you had a 30-day cycle, but then boom, something yeah. happened. It was triggered. It could have been a like a remnant cycle. It might not happen right away. Right. Yeah. So I'm thinking um, that it is more the birth control, coming off the birth control, introducing the copper IUD, and then taking this Utovia that somehow has led to some sort of dysfunction in your endocrine system or just your your hormonal balance, it would be worth it to get your hormones tested, I think, personally, um, both estrogen, progesterone, and also your um, stress hormones. So see, what is, you know, is cortisol impacting all of this? Yes, cortisol can, caffeine raises cortisol at rest. I don't know if it's the caffeine that's causing this huge reaction for you, though. I, it really makes me think that something was up with the Utopia that you took and in combination the copper IUD insertion. And, you know, I interviewed Dr. Jolene Brighton, and she talks a lot about this post-birth control syndrome, which isn't addressed very often in, in, you know, it's not like a medically recognized condition. But because of the side effects of birth control, when women are on them for a very long time, you know, it does have a really, it can really negatively impact your gut. It's, it's very similar to like how antibiotics impact your gut. It can kind of wipe out your gut flora um, and it can lead to, it can, it basically depletes your body of a ton of really important nutrients. One of those being zinc, which Steph mentioned, but uh, really important minerals. And so if you're coming off of that and you weren't, necessarily following an anti-inflammatory nutrient-dense diet. One of the things that I thought was really interesting is Dr. Jolene Brighton recommends taking a really high-quality prenatal with folate because folate B vitamins are some one of those things that birth control depletes. So if you've come off birth control and then you immediately take Utovia, which I'm sure has the similar side effects to birth control, 
I think there's something there that disrupted your system, whether it be nutrient depletion, whether it be gut function related, which then impacted how your hormones are excreted and or, you know, your your the function of your liver to be able to to um, excrete excess hormones. Something something funky happened. So I don't know. I know you don't want to be pregnant and that's fine. And there are many other ways to prevent a pregnancy that don't involve the copper IUD. I think if it was me personally, I would probably remove the copper IUD just because I'm not sure about what it's, how it's impacting you at this moment. And then really get on a protocol, get um, taking charge of your fertility and learn about tracking your cycles with FAM. Get some blood tests done, look at your hormones and look at your cortisol and your rhythms. And then do the things that Dr. Jolene Brighton talks about in her book, um, which is making sure that you're focusing on specific nutrients. So, you know, and of course, within the context of a nutrient-dense diet, which we talk about on here, a low-inflammatory diet, things you can do on top of that would be to supplement with really high-quality prenatal that is rich in folate, um, support your liver. So do, you can obviously do that with by eating cruciferous vegetables and eating foods rich in heme iron and B vitamins. And, and that's why we talk about grass-fed meats and organ meats all the time. Um, eating sulfur-rich foods like pasture-raised eggs, taking a magnesium supp- supplement, um, and then, you know, making sure that you are eating high-quality fat. So if you're eating low-fat, I'm not sh- didn't quite get the full picture here. Um, but then really support your gut, too. I think that that has to be a part of this. Um, so that's where taking out inflammatory foods comes in. That's where taking a really good quality, high-quality probiotic comes in. And see how your body responds to that. And after you've made a lot of these changes, if you do find that you have some hormonal imbalance or that maybe your cortisol's high, while you're making these changes, take out coffee and see where your cycle, how your cycle shakes out. That would be where I would start. It just, to me, it, like the glaring light for me was copper IUD, I took the Utovia, I had a 30-day cycle, but to me that, like Stephanie just said, eh, I don't know if that was a real sign of health there. And then, boom, everything changed. Something was off. Birth control has side effects. These things, these prescription medications have side effects. And I think the main thing we can focus on is gut restoration and restoring nutrients. Yeah. This podcast is supported by Thrive Market, a membership community that uses the power of direct buying to deliver the world's best healthy food and natural products to members at wholesale prices. Go to thrivemarket.com slash wellfedwomen to sign up and get 25% off your first order. When you sign up for a membership, you're also sponsoring a low-income family in need with a membership. Thrive Market is like Whole Foods, Amazon Prime, and Costco combined. You can shop for thousands of health food and natural products that are 10 to 50% below retail prices and have them delivered to your door fast and totally free with a low minimum purchase. You'll find just about everything you can find at natural grocery stores on Thrive Market, plus more. And all of the food products are categorized by diet and lifestyle, making it easy to find allergy-friendly foods and snacks for your family. Get the highest quality products you love, minus the retail markup, and help American families thrive. To sign up and get 25% off your first order, go to thrivemarket.com slash wellfedwomen. 
Question number three is from Colleen. Hello, ladies. I am a new founder of your podcast, but I've binged on practically all relevant episodes in the last month, especially the numerous episodes regarding hypothalamic amenorrhea and hormonal imbalances. I learned so much with each new listen. I've been on birth control the pill for eight years, stopped in the middle of my bikini competition prep 10 months ago, and my goal, as my goal is to get pregnant after the show, no period since. Eight months ago, my competition season ended, and I have been eating in a surplus since. After reading the book, now, No Period, Now What?, I really learned the importance of eating all the foods and really cutting back. They actually suggest eliminating exercise and opting for walking and yoga only. Well, I was not ready to take that step until about a month ago. I've cut out exercise, and I won't even go into detail on the emotional havoc this has caused on my body image, getting better with time, lots of support, and plenty of shopping. (laughs) Thank you for being honest. Shopping is a great, uplifting thing. Anywho, I'm currently eating all the things and truly resting more than I ever have. This has led to me to what feels like digestion issues. After every single meal, I feel very full and gassy and distended big time. I have been taking a high-quality digestive enzyme for a while now and a probiotic daily. I even try eliminating the following one at a time, gluten, dairy, and nuts, nut butters, with no relief of symptoms. However, I only cut out each for five days at a time, and my frustration took over when no relief came. It sucks because I was finally starting to brace my curves, my weight gain, and dwindling down on the obsession over body image since the diagnosis of HA. But now with these constant GI issues, it feels almost impossible to feel good about myself, my body image, since I'm constantly gassy and I feel so unsexy. And I even feel like my health was way better when I was calorie restricting. The last thing I want to do is stop having sex because, well, I enjoy it, but I want a baby. Is there anything else I could do to or incorporate to help ease this constant abdominal comfort? Thank you for your expertise. Lots of... Team Gala, by the way. Team Gala. Okay. I don't know if that impacts your answer, but just saying. (laughs) I'll give you a good answer. Um... (laughs) I like how much we've been looking at the intersection of hormones in the gut. It's very interesting. Of late, we need to be quick. What do I want to say with this quickness? Oh, I like this. Like five sentences about cutting things out. However, it's like, you know, just like if, I imagine if we were talking in person, you'd be like, well, technically I only cut them out for five days and one at a time. We'd be like, okay, go, go, go back. Um, so I would definitely recommend cutting them all out at the same time. I think they have to cut them out at the same time and for longer than five days. And um, I know that that's so tricky because it can be triggering back into old habits, but just let yourself load up on everything else, (laughs) you know, Um, and think about it exclusively as something that you're trying to do for your gut and way far away from your past behaviors. And you're just making this choice. You're performing an experiment. There's no need to emotionally get riled up and fall into some cyclone of, (laughs) you know, uh, triggering these kinds of behaviors. Um, So if you can, I would recommend cutting them out um, at the same, cutting them out at the same, at the same time. I think that that's important. And unfortunately, that if we're eating very little, and then we go into eating a lot, like our, our, our digestive systems may have become really adjusted to eating very little, you know, and so, It will, I think, be possible probably in time to reintroduce a lot of foods, whatever they were. But I think you need to start from a basis of 
knowing what works for you and what doesn't. And so I would definitely do something like what Noel and I recommend in coconuts and kettlebells, which is uh, four weeks at least of taking out grains, dairy, sugar and seed oils, um, anything else, um, nut butters, I guess, if they bother your stomach, if you know they bother your stomach, if they don't, then just keep eating it um, and see how it feels and then introduce them back in one at a time to figure out which one or which of them may have may have been the problems. I think that's probably the best way forward. And yeah, load up on the other stuff in the meantime. It is very common for people to experience these gut issues after major restriction. I think we are not, uh, we know the impact of a bikini competition and what that probably was doing to you mentally and emotionally. And it probably involved a lot of restriction. And it is so common. And I know Stephanie hears this all the time too. After you have some sort of eating disorder, disordered eating patterns, cycle of diet after diet after restriction after restriction, it is so common for people to then thereafter have gut issues. And you have this double whammy of was on birth control for eight years, came off. And by the way, during that time, I was probably really, really restrictive in training for a bikini competition. So I think that it has to be like a whole holistic life change here because one, we need to treat the potential gut issues of birth control. So making sure that you're replenishing your depleted nutrients, which are all really important for having a baby. Dr. Jolene Brighton recommends, which I agree with 100%, waiting three to six, up to, she actually says six months, waiting up to six months to start trying to conceive after coming off birth control just so you can take the full six months to replenish all those depleted nutrients because a lot of those nutrients that birth control, the birth control pill depletes is crucially important for healthy babies. So B vitamins and iron and other minerals. I mean, they're, they're like the big ones. So you've got to take some time to replenish those nutrients. We also know that the pill greatly impacts gut health and the gut microbiome. And it can be as damaging to the gut as antibiotics and can lead to gut permeability. So I think that you're definitely dealing with some of that. And so it's going to be really important to support your gut, to remove the foods that are potentially negatively impacting your gut, which is what we talked about. Yes, you have to do it more than five days. You're not going to see resolution in the first week. You may not even say it and see it in the second week. You may not even see it in the third week. You need to go that full four weeks and it needs to be gluten and dairy free and that's where i would start i would also recommend doing no trying to switch out your the fats that you cook with and also trying to really focus on not eating too much refined sugar during this time however i want you to freely eat (laughs) so it's um that's where our book is is unique is because we do talk about the mindset piece of that and how to make sure that you're not moving into this with a very restricted mindset because for you maintaining health and gut health and your fertility is going to be really important as well. And that's going to take eating more and enough and a lot, a lot of nutrient-dense foods. And so I want you to eat the the gluten-free and dairy-free treats that are in the book, like all the recipes. And don't worry about, you know, trying to, well, I need to stay sugar-free or low-carb or whatever. Like, don't worry about that. So, yeah, remove some foods that potentially can cause inflammation and can cause some gut disruption. Focus on removing that stuff. Focus on replenishing the nutrients that have been depleted and focus on adding in a good quality probiotic, eating some 
some really nutrient-rich foods that are uh, rich in probiotics, like sauerkraut, and you can drink some kombucha and see what see what happens. At the same time, I would also recognize this is the soapbox that I'm on lately, that there is a huge gut-brain connection. Your gut and, and your brain are inextricably linked. You know, when we are in this like stressed out diet culture state and we're always restricting, those those neurological pathways, they are set and they are reinforced. And so it's it's hard to get out of that. It's hard to break free of that sympathetic, stressed out state around food. And it takes work. And I think that so much so many of us are so used to that. We're used to eating in our car or eating at work. When it may not even be the food that's stressing us out, it may be it may be something else, you know, our boss or whatever. But we have to recognize that digestion starts in the brain. And if we if we are off and we're stressed, whether that has to do with our previous relationship with food or, you know, we're stressed in the moment because of X, Y and Z, that's going to impact our digestion, our bloating and our gut health. And so we have got to be able to sit down, take some deep breaths, get in a rest and digest mode, remove ourselves from situations that are that are causing stress and eat in a in a parasympathetic state so that our body can make enzymes enzymes needed for digestion and proper stomach acid and all that stuff. So really look at too like how and where are you eating? Are you eating standing up? Are you listening to your internal hung, hunger cues? Um is there anything going on with how much you're eating? Do you do you kind of still feel like you're overeating because I know that that's a big kind of slingshot effect from this restriction of the bikini competition that's like you go into like I can't stop eating mode and so do you feel like you're able to properly regulate oh I'm getting full now and will stop eating or do you do you still continue to go past that which can be a stress on digestion too now of course I want you to eat a ton and love that and I think some of the principles of intuitive eating would be really really helpful for you here so definitely look that up and we'll link to it in the show notes but you may still be in this stressed out state where it's hard to navigate how full are you and you know what is your hunger and are you still trying to do six small snacks and structure your meals and all that kind of stuff or have you been a little bit more relaxed with it all so in addition to that looking at you know how and where are you eating and what does that what's your mental state around that so so much room there's so much hope and so much room for improvement and, and just small shifts and I think that you can definitely, you'll definitely see resolution. It's just, you've had a double whammy. It's a, it's, most people will see, will have, suffer from hypothalamic amenorrhea after coming off the pill for a long time, period of time and, or, you know, during a very restrictive time and you've kind of had both. So I uh, was, um, I'll link to Dr. Jolene Brighton's book, Beyond the Pill, in the show notes. And that should be really, really helpful as well. Hmm. You can yeah, go. that's very popular right now, isn't it? It like is. Super? Mm-hmm. She's, she's doing great with it. Yeah, it's episode 213 you can go back to. So okay. there you go. Anything else, so, Steph? Yeah. So no. yeah. No. Wonderful. Well, we'll talk next time on the other side. S- <laughs> In like, what, six months? We'll discuss this later. Well, it, it might, it's going to be a while. But when I come back, I will not be pregnant. <laughs> So that's <laughs> so that's correct. Re- that's really. I may also be really tired. 
but there will be a baby. Another one. Um, not inside of me. So I'm excited. Yeah. So hopefully I won't be as cranky. <laughs> You're not cranky. Or breathy. <sighs> like, I feel like I'm having a hard time breathing. Oh, I'm, I'm self-conscious about my breathing. Yeah. It's, it's you know, some something sitting on my diaphragm. But it, it, it'll likely be a little bit of time. Something. So we'll have an update episode for sure. Just to figure out, has Steph moved to D.C. yet? You know, what's going on? So... Okay. Yeah. So, all right. I guess we'll talk in 2020. Okay. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, for more from Stephanie, go to paleoforwomen.com. Follow all of her Instas on Instagram so that you can keep in touch with her and see her selfies. You can go to my website, coconutsandkettlebells.com, for more from me. And, of course, buy the book, Coconuts and Kettlebells, by going to coconutsandkettlebells.com slash book. It's available in most bookstores and definitely on Amazon. And if you've gotten it, please go and leave a review. We would appreciate that so much. Thanks for your support. We love hanging out with you. And we will talk to you sometime in the future. <laughs>